Good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast. Good morning if you're on the West Coast, and good evening if you happen to be in Europe or in Asia. And welcome to the January 2020 Reach 3030. Today's topic is persistent, mobile, and toxic substances, or PMT substances, a new class of substances of very high concern in the European system. My partner, James Votar, uh, spoke about uh, uh, PBTs under TOSCA uh, earlier in the TOSCA 3030. Well, today we talk about PMTs. So you have another acronym to deal with. I'm Herbert Stryker. Next slide. So what are substantive high concerns? Well, these are defined in Article 57 REACH. Uh, and Article 57 REACH says that certain classes of substances you know, may be included in uh, the Annex 14 list of substances subject to authorization, uh, and they give basically six categories. The first three are Category 1 and A and 1B carcinogens, mutagens, reproductive toxicants. These are the CMRs. The next two categories are PBTs, or persistent biocumulative toxic chemicals, or BPVBs, which are very persistent, very biocumulative, which is a category not in the TOSCA system. Uh, and the last category is kind of a catch-all, which is called the equivalent level of concern, or ELOC category. And I'm going to spend a, little minute, a few seconds on this paragraph. It's paragraph F of Article 57. It says substances such as, which is important because that means what follows is just an example of the kinds of substances that could be uh, classified as SVHC, such as those having endocrine disrupting properties or those having PBT or VPVB, sorry, it should be VPVB properties, which do not fill, fulfill the criteria of true PBTs or VPVBs, uh, for which there is scientific evidence, which is important, of probable serious effects, again important, to human health and the environment, which give rise to an equivalent level of concern to those of the other substances, the CMRs, the PBTs, the VPVBs, uh, uh, which are identified on a case-by-case -case basis according to a procedure set out in Article 59. Now, the way this works is if you, uh, the European Chemical Agency, uh, in fact, uh, designates a substance as a substance of very high concern, that then goes on the candidate list of substances of very high concern for authorization. Uh, substances on the candidate list are prioritized uh, for uh, possible inclusion in Annex 14, which is the substances subject to authorization. And once you're subject to authorization, then there is a deadline by which an application uh, for, for continued use uh, of the material has to be granted or otherwise it's off the market. So that's the process. First designation of substance very high concern. Then it goes on the candidate list. Then the candidate list is prioritized, um, and then uh, ultimately the substances may go on the Annex 14 list for authorization, which is basically a phase-out ban list. Next slide, please. So the equivalent level of concern, the ELOC category, which is I just spent some time with in Section F, there are a number of things that have already been deemed to be of equivalent concern. The, uh, the, the regulation mentions endocrine disruptors. Uh, there have already been a number of substances on the candidate list that have been placed on the candidate list, you know, which are endocrine, have endocrine disrupting properties, either for human health or for the environment. Uh, 
uh, most notable bisphenol A and, and, and other things like that, nonafenols, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there have been a few substances that have been listed on the basis of STOT or specific target organ organ specific target organ toxicity for after chronic exposure. And these have mostly been cadmium compounds. And there have been a few respiratory sensitizers that have also been listed. So, so far, up until recently, the categories that were considered equivalent level concern were limited to endocrine disruptors, um, things that had uh, stopped uh, chronic toxicity, and respiratory sensitizers. Next slide, please. So there are a couple of European court cases involving these equivalent level concern listings. Uh, first is a parallel group, uh, set of cases, uh, Hitachi Chemical and others, the ECA, um, and that had to do with the listing of hexahydromethylphthalate and hydride as a respiratory sensitizer. And that was challenged in the court on various grounds, procedural grounds, uh, but also the, uh, the applicants argued that respiratory sensitizers did not rise to the level of substances of equivalent level of concern to CMRs, for example. But the court held that respiratory sensitizers could give rise to equivalent level of concern to CMRs because the effects are irreversible and could lead to permanent lung damage. Next slide, please. Uh, there, also, uh, there was also a court case, which was recently decided, uh, involving the listing of bisphenol A as an endocrine disruptor. And the court held, uh, established several important principles that must be satisfied before the ECHA can list something as, uh, as a substance of very high concern based on the equivalent level of concern uh, prong of Article 57. So the court held that when ECHA conducts an analysis of the intrinsic properties of substance, basically hazard, and substance of very high concern is a hazard uh, property, it's not a risk property, then it is bound by the principle of scientific excellence which means that it must comply with the best current scientific standards. So that's very, very important, and that could play an important role uh, in future SVHC listings uh, as to whether uh, the ECH is using the best current scientific standards. The court did uh, determine that ECHA has authority to develop its own criteria for the identification of endocrine disrupting substances. The applicant had argued that there were no EU or commission-level um, uh, criteria for endocrine disruptors. There were no, you know, there were some strategies under the biocide directive, there were some strategies under the food law, et cetera, et cetera, but there was no uniform EU-wide standard uh, for determining whether something was an endocrine disruptor. The court held that the ECA, the European Chemical Agency, which had the authority to implement uh, the uh, candidate listing, had the authority to develop its own criteria. They also said, and I think it's important, that they could rely on criteria developed by other scientists. So in this particular case, there were uh, criteria developed by the uh, JRC, uh, which the ECHA relied on, and so uh, the court held that it did not have to be, number one, did not have to be EU-wide standards, B, it did not have to be criteria that ECHA itself had developed. It could be developed by other groups. But they said, quite importantly, that whether the ECHA uses its own criteria or uses the criteria developed by other scientists, they must comply with the principles of excellence, transparency, and independence. So I, I think that's an important legal standard by you which you, you judge uh, the ECHA's uh, actions in this area. Next slide, please. So what are PMTs, and why is there concern for PMTs? So these are substances which are persistent. 
There's no question about that. They meet the criteria of Annex 13 of REACH for persistence. You know, and Annex 13 uh, identifies quite clearly the half-lives uh, that have to be uh, that have to exist in various environmental media for something to be considered persistent. Uh, they also have to have, meet the criteria for toxic, and Annex 13 also gives some criteria for toxicity. So uh, a PMT uh, does not have to meet the bioaccumulation criteria, so it's not a PBT. So that distinguishes a PMT from a PBT is that a PMT does not meet the bioaccumulation criteria. So, But they are considered to be mobile. Why? Because they're highly soluble in water, and they have a, a low ab, uh, absorption potential to sediments or soil. And so, therefore, their, their movement is not impeded uh, by adhering to sediments in, the, in, the, uh, in a river, for example. So they stay in the water column. They're thought to be able to travel long distances. And I assume that depends on the stream flow of the rivers. Uh, and a low absorption potential also means that standard wastewater treatment processes don't work. Uh, and that's because most treatment processes depend on uh, either absorption of flocculants, so they have to be absorptive, or biodegradation. And since they're persistent, they don't biodegrade. So it's believed that if PMTs enter drinking water, that the current you know, water remediation technologies you know, cannot remove them readily or it can only be removed at high societal costs. And it's believed that a continuous presence in water is believed to result in continuous bioavailability. If you think about this, all metals would meet this. Uh, you know, so all soluble, all, all metal salts, all metal salts are persistent. All metal salts are water soluble. All metal salts have a low absorption potential. All metal so, so there you go. But we'll see what happens. Next, go to the next slide, please. Now, the German, uh, as I mentioned, uh, well, there are no EU harmonized criteria. There are no ECHA developed criteria. So far, what we have is something put together uh, by Germany's Federal Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, or called BAWA, uh, and they have a report on protecting the sources of our drinking water, which issued a couple years ago, and there they developed the mobility criterion for both PMTs and, and another category, very persistent, very mobile substances that's akin to the very persistent, very bioaccumulative substances that I mentioned, and that doesn't require toxicity. So for PMTs, the mobility criterion is that it must, uh, the lowest organic carbon water coefficient, or log KOC, over the pH range, pH range uh, relevant pH range of 4 to 9, environmentally relevant pH range of 4 to 9, is less than 4. Where they got that number for? No clue. Uh, the uh, very persistent, very mobile substances, which you would expect to have even a lower uh, log KOC, indeed in the German criteria, have a log KOC over the relevant pH range as less than three. So at least the BPVMs are more, more, more mobile than the PMTs, but why uh, log KOC of four makes something mobile is a question that I leave to, the, to, to others. Next slide. So the Germans also identified how one would assess the uh, mobility or very mo mobile properties of substances. And you could look, they indicated you could look at experimentally determined by partitioning studies, or you could estimate it by calculational methods, QSAR. You could use other information from field studies or monitoring studies, provided that information was suitable and reliable. Uh, 
uh, or you can, and you can take other information uh, uh, suitable or reliable, such as information from soil column leaching studies, lysometer studies, field observations, water treatment breakthrough studies, and modeling studies. So the Germans consider that there's all kinds of information you can use to determine whether a substance was mobile. Next slide, please. So what's, what's, what has this resulted in? What has the German criteria resulted in? Well, first, uh, the NGOs, uh, in particular the Swedish NGO Chemsec, has added 16 substances to its sin list and, uh, based on the Germans, uh, Germany's uh, mobility criteria. Now, you may know what the sin list is. It's a very, very long list of at least what uh, Chemsec considers to be substance very high concern. You may actually get very long questionnaires with hundreds of chemicals listed uh, from your customers in Europe asking you to certify that your products do not contain any of these sin chemicals. You know, these are not substances on the candidate list that's established by ECHA, although that has 131 substances. This is about, I mean, something like six or 700 substances that the NGO Chemsec considers to be um, um, substance of high concern. And I just, I, I list them in the next couple of slides, but I was sort of just identified red uh, things I found rather surprising. At least for Chemsec, they consider chloroform, carbon tet, uh, trichloroethane, TCPP, uh, to be PMTs. Next slide, please. Uh, things like trifluoroacetic acid, melamine, 1,2,4-triazole, and 1,4-dioxane. Now, those smart compounds may all have their own problems. But I think, quite frankly, if someone told you that these were substances very high concern because of a special category, that they were persistent, mobile, and toxic, I would be very surprised. Next slide, please. That said, the ECHA, not to be outdone, uh, has listed two substances most recently on their candidate list for, uh, because of PBT concerns. The first are the Gen X compounds. Now, let's think about the Gen X compounds. Gen X compounds, which is kind of an interesting name, are actually the lower alkyl substitutes for PFOA. You know, PFOA is C8. Gen X compounds are lower alkyl, typically uh, C7 or C6, whatever. Um, and the main one, and that's a mouthful, is HFPODA. Um, and so if you think about it, why the, these substitutes have fewer carbons, because it was attempted to design these substitutes so they would not be bicumulative, right? So the lower molecular weight, the less, uh, the less likely they're going to be bicumulative. Uh, and so that's how these were designed. So since they're not bicumulative, there would have to be some way to get rid of them, right? And so the idea, one idea is that they're mobile, not bicumulative, but they're mobile. They're certainly persistent. Why are they persistent? Because they have fluorine, uh, you know, which is you know, why you usually put fluorine into chemicals. So you have uh, persistence there. Um, they're not bicumulative. Uh, and so the question is, well, are they mobile and can, you know, Europe, you know, deal with them, European chemical agency deal with them that way? Uh, and they did. They agreed in their June 2019 meeting uh, that these uh, um, JEDEX chemicals uh, uh, are SVHCs to their probably serious effect on human health and environment based on persistence and mobility. Next slide, please. Another category that the ECHA has added to the candidate list, uh, but so far the member state committee 
has agreed that uh, PFBS or perfluorobutane sulfonic acid is a PMBT, sorry, PMT, and um, uh, it will be added to the candidate list if it hasn't been, if it wasn't done today, uh, probably this week. Uh, so a little bit about the process of, um, well, maybe we're running out of time, but a little bit about the process of how something's added to the candidate list. Uh, there's a dossier, Annex 15 dossier, which, prepare, which is prepared by member states. Uh, that dossier is subject to consultation. Uh, the member state committee, which is comprised of uh, representatives of all the different member states, soon not to include the UK, uh, review the uh, dossier and review the comments, and then they develop a, uh, uh, a, a position document, uh, and then that's adopted by the ECHA. Uh, and then once the substance is put on the candidate list, which is basically posting on the ECHA website, well, that's the final date, the date of the final decision. And that's when a judicial challenge can be brought two months and 10 days for the date that the substance is listed on the ECHO website. Um, so uh, so they agreed that uh, PFBS was a uh, uh, SDHC based on PMT properties. Next slide. So what are some of the findings that they had? Well, they considered it to be equivalent level of concern uh, for the following reasons. They considered there was a potential for irreversible and increasing presence in the environment. You may remember that when I went to Article 57F carefully, it talked about probable. It didn't talk about potential. So that's one issue to think about, right? They said there was a potential for irreversible increasing contamination of surface water, marine water, and groundwater. And then they said continuous presence results in continuous bioavailability. I'm not sure that holds up. Next slide, please. Uh, that worldwide occurrence, although uh, the levels are fairly low, um, uh, they said that it could enter the biosphere via several routes. Uh, they did look at some of the, uh, the human health effects data, and although they were not sufficient uh, to classify the substance, uh, you know, as being, uh, uh, you know, reprotoxin or CMR or anything of that nature, they did say that the study showed some intergenerational effects, uh, although there was no indication of uh, reprotoxicity. Uh, they said there was potential delay of effects. Again, not probable. They said there was potential of causing serious effects, uh, and although those would not be observed in standard tests, which raises the question as to why you know that there was a potential of causing serious effects. Uh, they said that uh, derivation of fusion exposure limits, the same concentration limits, will be highly uncertain. Um, I don't doubt that, uh, but it seems to me it's the purpose of the regulator to come up with those uh, safe exposure and safe concentration levels, and there was a high societal concern for the presence of PFBS in drinking water sources. Some people might argue there's a high societal concern for the elimination of, uh, of PFBS. Next slide. Uh, they said it was detected in humans worldwide. Uh, well, you know, there are a lot of chemicals that show up in uh, blood and, and uh, uh, body fluid, in blood and urine, um, and it's uncertain what the meaning of that is, low-level uh, concentrations of lots of chemicals that show up, but PFBS shows up. Um, they talked about transfer from other offspring in humans, whales, birds, and then may disturb development, which again is not a pro doesn't seem to me to meet a probable standard. It may be difficult to manage exposures due to high mobility, again, a may term. Uh, 
uh, and the fact that explosions may take place in different locations uh, than where release occurred and at a different moment in time, which I think is true for any chemical that gets in the water system, uh, which is persistent uh, and doesn't and uh, is not a PBT. So, I mean, I indicated metal salts would beat that, and clearly, ChemSec thinks that things like chloroform and carbon tet and trifluoroacetic acid meet that criteria. Um, next slide, please. So the last, they, they found there were limitations of the available uh, remediation technologies. That raised a concern. Uh, and that it would be difficult to remediate environmental pollution and that they, uh, PFBS would quickly diffuse from contaminated sites. Uh, so that's the findings. Uh, I think some of that is certainly subject to challenge. If uh, some companies that are involved in this were inclined to do so, uh, there are a number of registrants. And we, you know what they plan to do, I don't know. I was involved in one and were preparing comments, but those were singularly ignored uh, by the European Chemical Agency and the member states. Uh, but uh, it's less likely that a court would ignore things. Uh, next slide. So the next OSHA 3030, as my partner James Volta said, is on January 22nd. The next TOSCA one is February 12th, and I haven't given a TOSCA one in a long time. I've been letting people pinch it for me, so I think I will do that one, assuming I'm in the States. Next slide. Uh, that's me again. And the next Reach 3030 is on February 12th at 1.35. I have no idea what the topic will be, but I'll tell you, every morning when I get up, I find that the ECHA has thought of something new. Take care, everybody. Good luck.